Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here, excited to explore the wonders of data science with a data scientist by the name of Harpreet Sahoda. He's also a fellow podcaster who hosts a podcast that I was just listening to called The Artists of Data Science. He's got a lot going on. I'm going to let him speak for himself. But before we do any of that, Harpreet, welcome to Trending in Education. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. We always love the, to begin the conversation by getting our guests to tell us their origin story in their own words. What got you from point A to point here in your professional life? Tell us a story. Spin us a yarn, Harpreet. Let us know how you got to this point in your career. Pretty much the exact opposite of what most data scientists have gone through to get to their career paths. I think most people that I've spoken to have had a straight path. Everything was a bit linear in, in terms of how they got from point A to point where they are right now. For me, it was not that case. So I'm 38 years old at the time of this recording. And you want to take the story back? We'll take it back. It was like 2001. I'm like, I'm a senior in high school. I've got relatively good grades, you know, acceptances into my universities of choice, a bright future ahead of me. But then I'm also a young misguided idiot. And I just managed to just make a series of decisions that cost me an entire decade of my life. Mm -hmm. So I ended up not graduating from high school. I went on a multi-year bender in the company of all these other lost souls, experimenting with all sorts of substances. I grew up in a colorful neighborhood um, with a bunch of colorful characters. So it was just a bunch of, of kids, immigrant kids, turnkey type of kids, people who just had a great ability to misuse and waste their time in any manner that presented itself sure. to them. Yeah. Um, and I fell into that. I didn't graduate high school on time. And it was for the stupidest reason, man. Like I just kept skipping PE class to go smoke weed. And literally this cost me two credits. I was two credits shy. Here I am, 3.4, 2.5 GPA, decent GPA on the way to going somewhere and didn't graduate high school because of PE credits. <laughs> Eventually I've made those two credits up, got a GED, but it just took a toll on me, man. Like the, the series of decisions I made after that were just horrendous. Um, yeah. So I had to reinvent and restart over multiple times throughout my life. Yeah, well, everybody loves a redemption story, Harpreet. Her, her and, and some, myself included, would argue that 38 is relatively yeah. early in the full span of your career. Yeah, there's this line in a Burton Braley poem, Start Where You Stand, where he says, the world will care about your old defeats if you can start again and, and gain success. So yeah, for me, it was just a, a winding path. After I did get my GED stuff, went to university, graduated, but I was still stupid in college. Like I was doing all sorts of stupid stuff that I shouldn't have been doing. Graduated barely with a 2.2 GPA, no internships, not, couldn't get hired. And this is like 2007, 2008, financial crisis, all right. that stuff. Right. And I actually went into education, believe it or not. Here I am a complete screw up that decides to go into education and teach other high school kids that are just like me when I was in high school. And I did good at it. I could relate to these kids in a way that the other teachers couldn't just be sure growing up in the same environment as they had. I've been through the same kind of stuff. And I did that for a couple of years uh, before I realized that, okay, I was a math teacher, small group math teacher. Yeah. And at that point I realized like, damn, I'm pretty good at math. I like it. I enjoy it, but I want more money than what a teacher salary is paying. Yeah. What can I do to to get more money using this skill set. And at that point, decided to become an actuary, went to grad school, studied math, stats, uh, and, you know, winding road, similar stories to everything I've just talked about. But eventually, um, you know, when I was 35, so this early 2018, decided to, to, to 
changed careers again. And that's when I moved into to data science. Mm-hmm. Um, just just because it's just that agitation myself. Like, damn, I'm not everything I could be. This sucks. I hate my job. I'm not living up to my potential. There's got to be something bigger, more for me out there and then went to data science. As a 35-year-old, which is not very common because I guess the average age of most data scientists are mid to late 20s, maybe mm-hmm. early 30s. But I've been able to broke into the field, you know, started two data science teams from scratch. I'm now in a position that's like the most perfect role for myself. And I was just able to make something, make a name for myself along, along the way. And this isn't a story that I've shared before ever, right? I wrote about it just about a month ago. And yeah. I shared this story on Medium and it's gotten such a huge response and reaction finally coming to terms with the fact that i could i could own this yeah i could own my stupidity yeah because um, I, was, I was able to figure shit out man i was able to make stuff work and get yeah and, and your podcast uh, to build on what you're talking about your podcast is about the artists of data science but it's specifically about personal development for data science which is part of why i wanted to have you on because i like it when more than one trend intersect and podcasting let's call that a trend but that's a given game respects game i like having podcasters on the show but what i found really interesting was thinking about the whole student movement and the fact that we are whole people even if we get into data science frequently data science people think of you as almost like a quantitative engine who's just going to crank out results and what I found really refreshing about your podcast and about your orientation is that this little more introspection and thoughtfulness, even the, the kind of fire in the belly, even if it's been a long run and it's been smoldering, there is this desire to continue to improve yourself and continue to grow. That is something that tends to be common among folks who are exploring some of these new economy skills like data science, cybersecurity, is that curiosity, that hunger, that desire to continue to develop. And I would also say as we continue to get older as a population, 38 is going to look extremely young in terms of the full range of your career growth. Can you talk a little more about the the podcast and, and how it came into being and how it relates to your story? Yeah. An idea popped into my head and it just sat there for, for a while. So I was sitting on a beach in Florida with my wife, February, 2020, before all the pandemic stuff went down. Early February 2020, we're on what's called a baby moon. We're expecting our first baby in May 2020. So calm before the storm, was going on vacation. Sitting there on this beach in Florida, just this idea, it came into my head, like, start a podcast. You should start a podcast. And it just would not go away. And so I came back and I was like, all right, well, I got to start a podcast. I got to figure out what I'm going to do, what it's going to be about, how am I going to structure it, how am I going to organize it, what am I going to talk about, who am I going to talk to? And I started off just speaking to a bunch of my friends. And I was figuring stuff out during that first you know, dozen or so episodes I was recording the podcast. Yeah, it just took a direction different from where it, where it originally started. Because originally I thought it was just going to be another data science podcast. And then I realized, okay, I don't find that interesting. That's not fun. And one day I just decided to start messaging authors whose books I have on my bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and they started responding back to me yeah. and agreeing to be on the show. And then it was at that point where I was like, okay, I could pivot and I could still redefine the podcast. I could still call it the artists of data science, but then have it be a personal development podcast for data scientists. So yeah. now just like targeting my niche a little bit more. It's not just data scientists at large. It's a specific type of data scientist I'm targeting. Oh, yeah. Data scientists that are like me in the sense that they know it's not just about the math and the coding, that there's much more to being not only a good data scientist, but just a, a well-rounded developed person. So I got inspired really, you know, 
by listening to a lot of podcasts, uh, late 2019, early 2020, like Impact Theory and, and Jay Shetty's podcast and uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast and whatnot. So I guess that was the inspiration-ish. Like I was like, okay, I, I could do this. Like I could be yeah. good at that. I could be really good at this. Yeah. So that plus sitting on a beach with nothing to do, plus a desire to just want to just put something out there, create something new. Yeah. I was Genesis the podcast. Got me thinking doing these podcasts, there's a desire to be more than you are, uh, a desire to grow. There's a maker's sensibility to podcasting that, as I understand it, does overlap with the maker sensibility around data science. As a data scientist, you have to be comfortable getting your hands dirty. You're ultimately held accountable for doing actual work. And podcasting is the same thing. If you don't do the interview, if you don't edit the show, the show doesn't happen. Frequently, by virtue of making the thing, you learn more in the process. And that's where I was impressed with your throughput. Looked like about 100 conversations in a year. And at a time when we're all faced with some deep questions and we're all thinking maybe a little differently about what's next for us, are there any themes or ideas that have been bubbling up across the conversations that you've been having? In terms of themes, man, I think something that kind of sticks out is just the ability to redefine yourself and redefine what you do. And th this word niche is like so hyped up now. I feel like it's a buzzword, but yeah, uh, find these unique niches for yourself. So that's one thing about being a professional, right? It, it's exploring a bunch of different talents and then combining them in new ways so that you can be the best in the world at this particular combination of things. And that's something that I've picked up from a lot of guests and just a lot of people that I've talked to through my happy hour session. It's just the ability to pick something up, be unafraid to suck at it, be unafraid to practice in public and just figure it out as you go and bring people along with you as you figure it out. Yeah. Um, that's a superpower that if you do enough of this, starting over, trying new things out, eventually you're going to be exposed to so many different things that you can then find connections between things that other people may not have seen connections between before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and now all of a sudden you found that connection, you're operating in that space of that connection and you can do something incredibly useful, incredibly big uh, and exciting and just be the best at that particular thing. Yeah, that's interesting. That's uh, next level too. If your superpower is being vulnerable and putting yourself out there, even telling a story that may not be the idealized, Instagrammable, something to be envied. Instead, if you're you're able to share some vulnerability and then try to bring others along, which is the other piece that uh, I wanted to get your take on. One of the trends that I see a lot in educational communities, particularly around new emerging fields like data science is the idea that a community of interest or a community of practitioners, community of practice emerges. Practice? Talk about practice? Shout out to Alan Iverson, Harpreet. I had to get that in there. You, you organize happy hours. Your podcast feed includes conversations with folks who are data curious or beginning their career in data science. They're just looking for guidance, mentorship. They don't want to feel alone. Can you talk about that aspect of what you're doing and how that's resonating? Yeah, dude, these office hours has been awesome. I've absolutely loved them and the genesis behind that. So I, I was part of this mentoring platform where I held multiple weekly office hours with a bunch of people who are 
transitioning into or breaking into data science. And I held these office hours multiple times a week. And I was doing that for about two years before even launching the, the happy hour series that I have going on every Friday. And that gave me the ability to just be completely okay. First thing, I don't know the answer to that question, or you need to say that question better because everything you're saying makes no sense to me. Or just think like, dude, that's very tough. I don't know the answer. Let me help you find it. So I just got comfortable doing that. I got comfortable answering questions on the fly. I noticed that taking that skill set I already had, just this comfort in front of the camera, comfort being thrown questions at me and comfort with not knowing the answer, coupled with the fact that I'm seeing everybody is no longer able to go anywhere because of pandemic and lockdown and everything like that. So I said, all right, let me launch this in the public and just start doing this thing where anybody can come and ask their questions. Mm -hmm. Um, And that just really took off. And one of the most beautiful things about that is, so I've got people coming to these happy hours, you know, they're data science influencers themselves. They're extremely intelligent people. They're well-respected in their field. So some of them are chief data scientists, some of them are data science leads. Some people have written books and it's the best thing when somebody comes in, student comes in, or practitioner, whatever. If somebody comes in, they have a question and nobody knows the answer to the question. And here you are in a room with a bunch of smart people and nobody actually has the answer. That's comforting, right? Oh shit. That means that I don't need to know everything. Right. Here I am like in a room full of people who are like at the top of the field and they don't have the answer off the top of their head. That's like a very comforting feeling, I I feel like. Yeah, totally. It reminds me a lot of when we talk about the future of work, which is also in some ways, the present of work, it's that frequently what work is, is nobody in the room actually knows the answer and you have to work together to figure it out and stronger cultures, stronger teams, stronger learning communities are able to reinforce and encourage that vulnerability where you're not faking it till you make it. You're actually being honest. You're saying, I don't know, you know, your professional life in some ways is an open book test these days where if you continue to have that motor to, to keep on learning new things, you'll probably find the answer, but it takes that grit and determination, which is another thing I wanted to get your take on. I remember A Beautiful Mind, which I like the movie, but it kind of bothered me. It's portrayal of math, this sort of Rain Man idealized version of what these Eureka genius moments are like. In my experience, those Eureka moments are frequently more of a, I don't really know what I'm doing until I figure it out. And also I need other people to bounce these ideas off of. Can you talk about what your professional life has been like as a data scientist and how that's related to maybe the the public perception about what this job might be versus what it's actually like to do the work? Yeah, people who are breaking into the field, new to the field, transitioning to the field, they look at these job descriptions that have everything listed on there, like there's all these skills, and they feel like they have to know everything, but you actually don't have to know everything. What you do have to be able to do is have the ability to figure anything. So that just comes down to two things. One thing is being able to really clarify and articulate a question, and two, being able to Google that question effectively. So being really good with advanced search on Google. So the perception I think a lot of people might have is that data scientists are just, they should just know everything. They should be these, you know, these superheroes that can do everything. And there's people out there who are like that. I'm definitely not one of those people, Yeah. but I can figure anything out. And I'm just extremely confident in my ability to figure anything out. Uh, in terms of my day-to-day work as a data scientist, I found like the perfect role for me. I've been in positions where I've started data science teams from scratch, where I've had to work with stakeholders and have to 
be part of the business and do all that stuff. And, um, and that stuff's all great. It's, it's fun to a certain extent, but that's just, isn't that enjoyable to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was able to find a role where it's like, okay, well, I get to just create data science content. I get to create projects. I get to host these office hour sessions. I get to yeah. do all this fun stuff, this awesome creation work and empower other data scientists to, to do awesome stuff by creating this content, by sharing knowledge and doing things like that. That's good. What ideas in data science are, are popping now? Everybody's talking about Web3 as the new hotness. I don't know how much you're leaning into some of these new trends. What have you seen, at least over the last couple of years, I imagine the field, like everything else, has been dealing with some seismic shifts due to the, the pandemic. Anything you're seeing more broadly around the data science as a field, and then maybe we could dig into some of the, the new hotness that you see on the horizon. The biggest thing I'm seeing, it might just be I'm a blinders on because the company I work at operates in this kind of space is MLOps, so machine learning operation. The operationalization of yeah. machine learning models, okay, uh, deploying them into production. Once the model has been deployed into production, monitoring their performance, monitoring their health, seeing if the data is shifting from what you initially trained on. So that's like a huge space in, in machine learning. That yeah. is a place where you're seeing a lot of companies pop up. The market size for MLOps is definitely in the, in the if not double digit billions, at least a $78 billion market Yeah, for MLOps. And you're seeing a lot of companies start up just trying to grab a piece of it. Everything from, you know, where I'm at, which is experiment management, machine learning, experiment management to data versioning, data validation, like this whole ecosystem of the operations of machine learning. Because I guess every organization now needs to have an AI strategy, which ultimately is powered by machine learning in most cases. And there's some ways in which they're, if they're not understanding their data in a more organized way, there's some major strategic efforts to get their data strategy organized. And then that's opening up this massive market that'll continue to grow, I imagine, to actually get those operations in place and then be able to measure what's happening as you go. The other trend I wanted to get your take on is the idea that these algorithms are operating beyond human control. And I make robot hand gestures when I say that. But any thoughts on that, like the relationship between what it means to be human and then how this AI machine learning, I like to talk about robot overlords occasionally on the show. Where do you land on this? Are, are you team robot or team human? Robot revolutions already happened. They've been here, but we just don't see them. They're all packed away in data centers and packed away for heat and efficiency reasons like that. But the robot revolution's been happening already. There's yeah. you know, an army of developers out there who develop these tools that automate things that just make life easier for us. That's all great. That's all fine. Any, I think that's amazing. I don't know. I don't think we're anywhere near general artificial intelligence or we don't have to worry about anything like that. It's, it's one thing to, to be able to mimic how the human eye might see right or mimic how uh how a human might look at a particular object like an image and classify what is in that image that's one thing to classify what is in the image but to make meaning of that image is an entirely different thing we don't even know how we do it so if we don't know how we do it how are we going to figure out how to program something else to do it to model something else to do that i was actually thinking about this like over the weekend i was wondering i was like okay in order for some artificial general intelligence thing that to happen, what would we require? It'd probably be some type of ensemble model, right? Like you'd probably have a model that is able to recognize like a computer vision type of model ensembled with a 
you know, language model, for example. Mm -hmm. And then you'd have to have something where it's okay, where I can pass an image, let's say an image of my Batman mug to this computer vision model, and then be able to query that computer vision model to tell me features of this particular mug to describe it. It's one thing to classify it, another thing to describe it. You'd have to do some ensemble between, I don't know how you do that, but an ensemble between a vision model and language model. But then even then you could describe things without having any meaning attached to it. You know what I mean? Like I I could describe this with AJ, I'd be able to tell me how how I can use this. They know what it feels like to sip a hot tea out of it. It it gets... It's interesting how data science conversations and a lot of the emerging technology conversations become philosophical and they also touch on ethical considerations now in ways that they really hadn't previously. And I think a lot of it comes full circle back to us trying to understand better what it means to be human, which is another trend that, you know, social, emotional learning, trauma-informed instruction, the, the idea that We need to give each other grace and be empathetic to other humans. I think you're touching on that also in the the, the peer-to-peer mentorship collegial model in terms of the dynamics. Any thoughts in terms of what's emerging around how people learn and any anything you've had experience with around some of these happy hours and collaborations that might be a signal in the noise for us in terms of how we might be able to do this better in the future? Yeah, that's something I wish I was taught in school was how to learn. They just teach you stuff, but they don't teach you how to learn things. And that's something I've had to learn on my own as a mature adult because I wasn't given those tools. A few people I interviewed on my podcast, actually, uh, there's Dr. Barbara Oakley, yes. who did the course called Learning How to Learn in a Mind for Numbers, and Scott Young, who did Ultra Learning, and Andy Hunt, who did the Pragmatic Thinking and Learning. That's probably the most important skill, I think, for this generation it's just the ability to teach yourself anything Mm -hmm. you have to have that skill because the world is changing and moving at such a fast pace so if you're not able to to educate yourself on a topic that you're just gonna be left behind and you have to be able to educate yourself without having a clear-cut syllabus sometimes you have to make the syllabus yourself but that's an incredibly important useful skill is just learning how to learn yeah. Um, so coming up with with the with a plan of attack for yourself, being able to identify the most important parts of a particular field, study those and build on top of those, and yeah. joining communities, being part of communities, asking questions, and mm-hmm. being able to connect dots, build a scaffolding of understanding for yourself. And the grid, right? Not giving up is another thing. Where yeah. I know you talk about growth mindset a good deal on your show. Any notes on growth mindset, the imposter syndrome? Sounds like you've gone through two or three professional transformations already, and you're relatively early in your career. Professional transformation is one thing, but that personal one is different. That growth mindset, I was introduced to that concept in summer 2018. Hmm. And so by this point, I'm already 35 years old. And I, I came across Carol Dweck's work, started reading her book, and I'm just like, what? I've just been, I've adopted a belief system that just did not serve me any way whatsoever. Just learning the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset was just incredibly crucial for me. So there's something that happened in in that summer 2018. There's three books I read in succession that really just changed my entire life. So (laughs) one of them was uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck. The other one was the book by Angela Duckworth, Grit, yep. and then Power, Power of Habits. Something about those three books and mm. how those ideas were connecting my mind just changed the way I look at at 
everything completely yeah. fundamentally so that growth mindset you know i've got like a 19 20 month old son now make sure that i teach him that so mm-hmm. the bu- buying children's books that expose the virtues of a growth mindset and the power of yet and trying to praise him in the right way praising the effort instead of the outcome it's super critical man yeah that growth mindset had changed my life and you know luckily i was i was at a point maybe just in my life and career where i was just ready to just deconstruct beliefs that weren't useful to me pick the useful belief system for yourself and go out and be great there's you could sit here and then worry about oh is this growth mindset for me is it not for me what's the research blah 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 you just adopt it try it on try on a belief see if it fits see if it works see if it's useful mm-hmm. if it is just continue with it yeah but scott adams talks about that in his book and, and multiple things these, these filters you have on reality i spoke to somebody on my podcast dave gray who wrote the book called liminal beliefs and we're talking about this idea, this concept of just being able to try on different beliefs, mm. see if they fit, see if they work. Are they useful? Are they helping you? Are you happier? Are you accomplishing more? Great. Stick with it. If not, then just ditch it, man. Like right. you don't have to, you don't have to hold on to those beliefs so tightly and make a part of your identity. You hear about strong opinions lightly held. Adam Grant's book, Think Again, is one that, that resonates with me. For a guy who does a data science podcast, you've come up with a pretty good learning syllabus there in terms of these growth books and educational psychology, which is a reminder that we all inhabit multiple dimensions and data science isn't just about being good at math and and cranking out the statistics. What about the future, Harpreet? What's got your attention now if we're going to regroup in a couple of years from now and look back on 2022? Anything new, exciting, catching your attention? Any predictions or hot trends that are really popping off these days. Remember I was reading this quote earlier, the best way to predict the future is to invent it. Yeah. Uh, what's the uh, Yogi Berra quote? Uh, it's hard to make predictions, especially about the future. Uh, I mean, for me, the, the biggest thing is um, like right now, just becoming a writer is the thing that I have uh, top of mind. That's the highest overarching goal I've set for myself is become a writer. Now that doesn't mean like I'm going to be an author and write books or things like that. It's just getting into this habit, this daily practice of writing mm. and developing an audience around my written content. That's not related to, to data science. I might put a data science lens on and view the world through that where mm. appropriate, but in general, I just want to write about all the stuff I've learned and put it out there for people to, to consume. So that's, that's the biggest thing for me over the next 12 months or so is just becoming a writer. And then what about for the the skills that pay the bills? Your data science is up there. Uh, you hear a lot about cybersecurity and now Web3, you know, do we need yeah. to learn the blockchain? As someone who yeah. stayed thirsty for knowledge your whole life so far, you seem like you're not done yet. What's new that's worth paying attention to in terms of yeah. staying job ready, skill ready for the future? Yeah, absolutely. Blockchain, Web3, for sure. I'm part of this DAO decentralized autonomous organization, but I'm not as active in it as I could be just limited time, but I have a very active interest in blockchain and and web three. That's what I study when I have nothing else going on. That's my my go-to just to stay abreast of it. I missed the first wave with the internet, right? Late, late 1990s, early 2000s. I missed that wave because I was an idiot. Right. Right. And I continued to be an idiot when Web 2 was around. So I missed that wave as well. So it's not very often, or maybe we're moving to the future. So this will happen over and over again. Where you get to be on the precipice, is that the right word, of something brand new? Yeah. Right on the edge and there's nothing in front of you. Yeah. So you have an opportunity to, to 
capitalize on that. So I think definitely spend time learning the basics of, of blockchain, learning the basics of why decentralization matters. Why is it important? I think people have just taken it for granted that the internet is what it is, how it is, and it's been like that's going to continue to be like that. It's not, right? I, I live in LA for a long time. The internet is like a bunch of different hoods in LA, right? You got Pasadena, you got Glendale, you've got downtown LA, and people in those hoods, they don't really leave, they stay there because everything they need is right there. Likewise, you've got Instagram, you got Twitter, you got Facebook, you got these different pockets of the internet uh, where people stay and they never leave. That's centralization. And then even just this concept of trying to rebuild an audience on a different platform, right? Like I've got a huge audience on LinkedIn, now I'm trying to build my audience on Twitter from the ground up. So having some mechanism to transfer that reputation or transfer that following over to a different platform, it, it's interesting as well. Something I've been going through right now is the A16Z crypto startup school. Mm. Um, I just find that really, really fascinating, both in terms of a little bit of education on what blockchain is, what Web3 is, why it's important, but where the future might be headed. Mm -hmm. That's probably something I'll be writing a lot about this uh, year is, is yeah. Web3 and blockchain stuff and trying to find the intersection of that between blockchain and, and data science. Mm -hmm. I've got a book that's been sitting on my bookshelf for well over four or five months that I need to get into and it's uh, blockchain data analytics for dummies. So I think mm. if any data people are listening, I know that Etherscan has a lot of data and I know there's a lot of analytics and data science applications using the data from Etherscan that you might find useful. Mm. Uh, it's going to revolutionize the world, going to change everything. It'll be around forever. Cryptocurrencies, they might come and go, who knows? Um, just like there's Friendster and Facebook and whatever else, like I'm dating myself here. MySpace, yeah. And now we got these other social medias, right? Like social media itself hasn't changed in the last 12 years platforms have so think of blockchain and cryptocurrencies that way something new yeah something new on the horizon and if folks want to keep track of what you got going on harpy where should they go we mentioned your podcast but any anywhere specifically folks should go if they're curious based on this conversation yeah so uh theharpreet.com you can go there and you'll find all the places you can find me nowadays directing people to my twitter so if you want to hear me or listen read my writing about on things definitely check out twitter i'll be posting threads there data science tarp on twitter uh, or just find me on linkedin there you go awesome thank you so much for for joining harpreet any concluding thoughts as we wrap up here yeah remember you got one life on this planet why not try to do some big cheers everyone all right. Harpreet Sahoda, the host of the Artists of Data Science. This is Trending in Education. Write us a review. Share the good word. We'll be back again soon. Thank you for listening. Oh.